Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Our lesson this morning is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Listen for the word of God. Our ears are open. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall, not call, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way, and let the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of God. For us, the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as you know, our theme today is abundance. Abundance is a vital part of God's story. Throughout this fall, we've been looking at vital components of God's story. Covenant, abundance, hope, resurrection. Today is our third and final go-round with abundance this fall, examining how it manifests itself in Scripture and our world and our lives hearing the ways that God's story intersects with our own story, with the story of this church, 
hearing Maris' beautiful testimony about the abundant love of God through Jesus that she is found here. Now, abundance is one of my very favorite words. If you start to pay attention, you will notice that when I speak, when I preach, when I write, I use the word abundantly. In fact, my friend Anne told me one time, she was in one of my churches, and she said she could get rich if she had a dollar for every time she heard me say the word abundance. Abundant love, one dollar. Abundant grace, two dollars. Abundant welcome, three dollars. She said if I listened to you preach for a whole year and got that money, I could go on an abundantly extravagant vacation. (laughs) To my core, I believe that God's love and grace and welcome are indeed abundant. They're full It's more expansive than anything we could ever grasp ourselves as human beings. I preach it and teach it and write about it. I plan worship series that have abundance in them three times. As someone who loves abundance, this scripture passage from Isaiah 55 that Eric just read is one of my favorites. In fact, in my Bible, the heading before this passage reads, Invitation to Abundant Life. You that have no money, Isaiah says, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, listen, so that you may live. It's beautiful, right? God says, come. Listen, so that you may live. Isaiah is speaking to a people who are not listening to God. They've lost their way. They're doubting. This is a community living in exile. It's the 6th century BC. So they are separated from their land, from the community, from the faith they once knew. They wonder if God has abandoned them. They're literally hungry and thirsty And they're seeking to fill themselves up by satisfying their desires outside of God. It's a community in need of life. It's a community in need of abundance. In the midst of their fear and their anger and their doubt, they are seeking nourishment in anything but God. You that have no money, Isaiah says, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. This is an extravagant vision for people who lack money and food and resources, who lack faith in God. Isaiah's vision, his reminder, is of the promise of God's eternal covenant, another one of our themes this fall, a reminder that God promises to be the source of our strength, the source of our salvation. And those people were seeking other sources for power, for love, for satisfaction, through governmental leaders or the marketplace, economics, their own wants and desires instead of the desires of God. And they were starting to measure their life by scarcity, focused on what they didn't have, rather than recognizing that abundant banquet of God that was already there laid out for them. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread, Isaiah asks, on that which does not offer you life 
and life abundant. It's easy, it's tempting, it's often satisfying in the short term to seek our nourishment elsewhere. Now today, we find ourselves very far from the context of Isaiah and time and geography and needs and culture. But I find that this question is eerily relevant because sometimes we're people who love to spend our money on that which is not bread. And when Isaiah says money here, I think not just money, I think all of our resources, our time, our energy, our thought processes, and that doesn't ultimately satisfy. I would love to tell you this morning that the reason I love abundance so much, talk about it so much, write about it so much, is because I am grounded in the good news that God's love and hope and peace and justice are more satisfying than anything else the world tries to throw our way. That I wake up each morning confidently standing on the promises of God my Savior and nothing else can distract me. I believe God, help my unbelief. Because the truth is, I think that I talk about abundance so much because I need to remind myself over and over again, early and often, that God is the one in control. Because scarcity, it can creep in and become like an infestation. I often find that it starts with one thought and then it builds. You don't have enough. You don't have enough time, enough time for kids and work and anything else you want to do. You don't have enough hope. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough clothing. You don't have enough love. You don't have enough exercise. You don't have enough decorative pillows, enough healthy food in the pantry, enough discipline. And before I know it, big questions, small questions, everything that the world tells us we need to be satisfying and whole start to drown out those voices of God's expansive and radical and all-encompassing love. Stop, Isaiah says, stop. Come to the waters, all who thirst. I don't need to tell you how much we are surrounded by constant messages of scarcity. It's easy to fill ourselves up on those messages that our worth is tied to how much money we make, to the kind of car we drive, to the size of our house. We're told to quench our thirst and numb our pain with alcohol or drugs or too much food, to have faith and violence to keep us safe instead of the Prince of Peace. We're afraid and so we seek our safety by surrounding ourselves with people who are just like us, whether that's the same color of skin or sexual orientation or economic class or ethnic background. We become tempted to build walls, figurative and literal, to keep some people out and to keep other people in, often people who are just like us. Or increasingly today, in the depths of our loneliness, we don't seek out people at all. We spend our time hiding behind a computer screen, hoping that salvation might come and some identity we can present to social media. We fill our minds with reality TV. We shield ourselves from the human costs and exploitations that can offer our food and our clothing. And then we start to believe messages around us that resources are scarce, and so you better hoard them up. You gotta seek more things and more power and more money to be whole. Why do you spend your money, your resources, your time, your energy, your thoughts 
on that which is not bread. Stop. Stop, Isaiah says. Come to the waters, all who thirst. And the truth is, this is for all of us, because every single person thirsts. Needing water is an essential part of being human. We know this in the South, especially in the humid, in the humid summer. In the desert Southwest, where the humidity is really low and sweat evaporates, they actually put out signs in the Grand Canyon that say, stop, drink water now, even if you don't think you're thirsty, because they know that dehydration can happen before you realize it yourself. Come to the waters, Isaiah says, all of you, all of you are thirsty, whether you admit it or not. You need to rely on God, whether you know it or not. And all of us hunger and need bread. It's an essential part of being human. So why do we spend our money on that which is not bread? Isaiah here is speaking to all of us, 6th century B.C. and 2019. Now, the scarcity mindset, I find, isn't just for us to navigate as individuals in the world, as people trying to live faithful Christian lives. I find that it can also be rampant in the church, where I spend most of my life, the church which should know better and do better and be better. The church is hungry. The church is thirsty. And if you've been paying attention, you know that the mainline Protestant church in America can spend a lot of time and energy on money, on that which is not bread, on always being afraid that there is not enough, that there aren't enough people in our pews, especially there aren't enough young people, there's not enough money for buildings and program and staff, there's not enough cultural influence or social prominence, or, 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 stop, Isaiah says, stop, come to the waters, all who thirst. Now, it is true, every credible study out there will tell you that church attendance is shrinking at a rate that we haven't experienced in modern life. And there's an increase in the number of people, especially younger people, who identify as non-religious. That number is sharply on the rise. Some of us heard a speaker this week on church leadership say that today the average church attender comes 1.5 times a month, and that number is getting smaller. We know this. Religiosity is changing. People's engagement with church is changing. And for those of us who love church, it can be scary. And if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, fear can begin to creep in like an infestation. And we start to focus, I start to focus only on what's not here, that it's not like it used to be, that it's not like I personally want it to be. Tuesday night here in the fellowship hall, we are hosting a presentation about what is happening in our denomination, the United Methodist Church. I hope that you will come. There will be dinner and child care provided. If you're coming, let Ann know in the church office so we have a count for dinner. We're going to hear from an expert, the Reverend Dr. Ann Burkholder. She is the Associate Dean for Methodist Studies at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. And she knows where our denomination has been, where we are, some potential futures about where we might be going. So Tuesday night is the night to get all of those details, to ask your questions for us to begin to see what this might mean for us as a local congregation. 
But in short, if you don't know, the denomination is divided right now over our theology of human sexuality, particularly around those who can be ordained and who can be married in our churches. The global denomination's official rules ban self-avowed practicing homosexuals, that's the phrase in our book of discipline, from being ordained. And they say that um, same-sex couples can't be married in our churches or married by our clergy. That's the official rule in our global denomination. There are many, many United Methodists who disagree with those rules, and in practice, it gets lived out differently. So there are many out gay United Methodist clergy all over this country, all over the world. There are many United Methodist clergy performing same-sex weddings in their sanctuaries. So as you can imagine, this is causing tension and it's causing division as we head into our next global gathering called the General Conference. That's in May of 2020. And that's where the worldwide church comes together to make the church laws. We don't yet know exactly what's gonna happen there, but whatever happens there likely will affect local churches and who we are, how we live out our faith together, where we find ourselves connected. So it's important, these conversations aren't always easy, but they're really important for us to come together to have them as a church body, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to listen to somebody who knows a lot about this information, share it with us, so we can be faithfully informed and prepared and praying together. But there is anxiety, friends, in our denomination right now about a potential division, about our current church laws, those who think they are unjust and choose to resist them, those that are harmed by these current laws, those who think that these laws are just and are getting upset that other folks are starting to break them. There's anxiety in our larger church over the changing landscape of numbers and engagement with church as we've known it. That church as we know it has got to be shifting in some radical ways, which means change. But we don't know what that change looks like, and that can be scary. Stop. Isaiah says, stop. Come to the waters, all who thirst. Come, buy, and eat. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? All who hunger gather gladly. Holy manna is your bread. Come from wilderness and wandering. Here in truth, we will be fed. You who yearn for days of fullness all around us is our food. Taste and see the grace eternal. Taste and see that God is good. The people in Isaiah are living in exile, away from their homeland, what they knew, what was grounding for them. Understandably, they weren't listening to God. So Isaiah offers this alternate vision, a land flowing with milk and with honey and with bread, body-nourishing, life-sustaining bread. It's no accident that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That he says, I have come to bring you living water. Come to the waters, all who thirst. It's a vision for abundant life. Now hear me, abundant life in God is not the same as naivete or blind optimism. Life in God's abundance recognizes all the ways that things are hard and painful and difficult and unjust. And God walks with us through that grief and the loss and the pain and the harm and the fear. And we know there is real scarcity in our world. God's kingdom is not here in its fullness. Not everyone has an abundance of joy or love or food or shelter or equality or safety of basic human rights. 
And yet we also know this is God's desire for our world and God calls on us to live into God's vision to make this a reality where everybody has enough to eat, where everybody has enough clean water. Abundant living recognizes the difficult realities, calls on us to live in them, not to shy away from them. But it also demands that as we do that, we do not live out of fear or scarcity or let them have the final word and govern what we do. For the people living in exile, for us in Sandy Springs in 2019 as individuals and as the church, my hope and my prayer for all of us, myself included at the very top of that list, is that we face the hard realities around us with honesty and with clarity but trusting that we are navigating them with each other and with God, and trusting that even though whatever reality we live in can be scary, that future is unknown, that's the definition of the future, our God is one who always, always provides life and life abundant beyond our wildest imaginations and expectations, carries us through change and loss and division with hope, and always, always with resurrection on the other side. Because God takes that cross, the very instrument of death, and turns it into new and eternal life for Jesus Christ and for the whole world. This is our bread. This is our gospel. And if this is our focus, then we will have abundant life. For God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. The heavens are higher than the earth, and God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. My hope for all of us, individually in the church, for the United Methodist Church, is that we trust God's ways of abundant love and justice and mercy and hope and forgiveness and new life, and that they are more than enough. That when we get afraid of the realities surrounding us, we look for all the ways that God's love is at work here and now. We've seen that over and over again this fall here through Sandy Springs UMC. God is alive and working and sharing that kind of love. If that is where we look, if that is where our focus is, then we do not need to be afraid. I find myself turning again and again to a blessing when I'm afraid, when I start looking at scarcity, when my anxiety raises up, it's by poet and author and pastor Jan Richardson. And I'm going to close with it today. And my hope is that you drink this blessing in. And at times when you feel scared or anxious, that you let it be a balm to your soul. It's called, And the Table Will Be Wide. And the table will be wide. And the welcome will be wide. And the arms will open wide to gather us in. And our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust there is enough. And we will come unhindered and free. And our aching will be met with bread. And our sorrow will be met with wine. And we will open our hands to the feast without shame. And we will turn toward each other without fear. And we will give up our appetite for despair. And we will taste and know of delight. And we will become bread for a hungering world. And we will become drink for those who thirst. And the blessed will become the blessing. And everywhere will be the feast. May it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen. As you go this morning, I want you to go with this blessing. Hear it again. 
and the table will be wide. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust there is enough, and we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine, and we will open our hands to the feast without shame, and we will turn toward each other without fear, and we will give up our appetite for despair, and we will taste and know of delight, and we will become bread for a hungering world, and we will become drink for those who thirst, and the blessed will become the blessing, and everywhere will be the feast. Go forth with this good news and with the peace of Christ. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.